Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So before we get into your works and political progress, which I'm so excited to talk about, one thing we've been asking our guests is, what have you been doing during quarantine? <laughs> um, I've been doing a lot of Netflix. <laughs> oh my, I can agree. <laughs> um I've been, I actually had uh, COVID, so I'm recovering. This is my 25th birthday. No. Yeah, so, but it wasn't anything serious. It was mm-hmm. a very mild version of it. Um, so I've been just, yeah, watching Netflix. I've been watching Community. It's a really great uh, um, show. You should all watch it. Um, and then I've just been doing some remote work, um, around my campaign. Unfortunately, that never stops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been keeping busy. Would you say that's a really great time, efficient thing to do during quarantine? Like you're so focused on your campaign and stuff like that. So you really do have a lot of free time on your hands, would you say? Yeah, I would say that my work, um, it's a lot easier to do my work now because I don't have to physically meet meet up with people mm-hmm. and I can just do everything over the phone. So I'm actually a lot more efficient. Um, so I've had a different quarantine experience than most people. However, there are days where I just like get really depressed and I'll be like, I haven't hugged my mom in like a month or two months almost. Uh, yeah. And it just like drives me crazy or to not have any physical interaction. So... And I've seen you in uh, in rallies and things like that, and it, yeah. you're really impactful that way, right? I've seen you lead rallies, and um, people rally around you. So, is that a disadvantage? Do you feel like it's a disadvantage that you can't do that? Yeah, it is absolutely. Um, while some things have become easier, and I've been more efficient. Um, yeah, like the face to face is always great. Like being able to show people that I'm passionate about something and has it's been difficult to do via zoom so um yeah other than that (laughs) it's been okay it's been swell you know i'd love to ask you just at the beginning of all this work you've started what actually made you become interested in community organizing and would you say that it's your calling or something that was developed over time um it's you know it's it's so hard to figure out for myself when I started doing this. Um, and I would say, yes, it would. It was developed over time. And so much of it, it was because of my upbringing. Um, I was always interested in history and articles and things like that. I went to a rally for Obama when I was 17 years old. Um, and I actually stumbled into an Occupy Wall Street protest in 2012 at their second anniversary. And that, and I just decided to join. I was like, I'm just going to join. And all of a sudden, um, it, the cops showed up and started shoving people and arresting them. And I was like, as an immigrant, um, I've never really experienced a protest. That was kind of my first time mm-hmm. uh, in many ways, like at least something like of that scale. Like I've gone to a protest on um, around the Ground Zero Mosque and things like that. But this was different. This was something I've never experienced. Um, so I think it was all the inspirations that I had um, along with the culture in terms of what my family has been through and how they raised me being in a land where you always feel like you don't belong. Um, it allows you to have a different perspective. So when you see someone bullied or watch yourself get bullied, um, it molds you into wanting to stand up for people. And I've always been that person who stands up to bullies or um, I never liked bullying. I got bullied when I was um, in middle school and um, elementary school. Um, And so watching these group of protesters kind of collectively fighting and demanding things for themselves, for some reason really inspired me. I was inspired by protests and protest culture 
Um, around that time, I started becoming more environmentally conscious. Um, I read this book called This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein, and I saw this lack of urgency on climate change um, from our democratic officials, elected officials. Um, and as you know, Bangladesh is at the front lines of this worldwide crisis. So I felt this like pang of urgency that I felt like nobody else felt because of who I was. And I thought, wow, in 20 years, our culture, our heritage, everything we know as Bangladeshis will live abroad and only abroad. And that realization was just profound to me. It, it affected me um, very in-depthly. And I realized that many of us won't have an ancestral land to go back to. And I think I really thought about my visit. Sorry about that. I really thought about my visit to Bangladesh as well. Um, and I also knew that policy change was going to be important. So that triggered my curiosity to learn how campaigns work and how policies get passed. So I started volunteering on local campaigns. Campaigns. I would door knock for candidates all over New York, New York State. Um, I eventually got hired to do field work. My first campaign where I had a director role was with Zephyr Teachout. Um, she, I was her deputy field director. I was excited because at that time I had applied for a job with NYPIRG and they were working on a campaign to ban fracking because around that time, New York had a moratorium on it and that was about to expire. So it was a very significant moment for environmentalists in New York. Um, but I didn't get that job. I was rejected. I didn't get hired. But the Zephyr job was, uh, so the Zephyr job, I did get hired. And it was exciting because I was actually working for a woman whose main, his her whole platform was to ban fracking. So I was like, this is amazing. And she ended up getting 35% of the vote, um, which led Governor Como to actually ban it, um, to appease the environmentalists upstate. And so even though we lost, um, we still won something and that made me want to that that really inspired me and I also met so many great grassroots activists and people who had a similar outlook um, to me and so through them I started going to events and conventions and workshops um, I saw I'm self-taught so I taught myself all of that organizing that I do now um, and I realized I'm pretty damn good. So now I've turned my, yeah, so I've turned my passion um, and my, and I took the skills, right? Uh, my skill set and I've started now focusing on the Bangladeshi community. Um, my mom really loves her country. Her dad was murdered during the war. He was a shohid. So she always says, you know, give back to Bangladesh. If you could just even give a little, just give back. So here I am. I feel like starting to give back means to start giving back to our community and empowering ourselves. So so I, I was never an organizer. I became one. And I think that most people are like that. And, and maybe, you know, it takes a certain kind of pe person to get into it. But honestly, anyone can. My mom tells me that story all the time about her father and oh, how he had to die and she grew up with no father and she just witnessed all the issues within Bangladesh during her time period growing up without a father. And she has so much patriotism and so much nationalism for her country. But, you know, us being the younger generation, we're seeing the upcoming issues such as climate change occurring in Bangladesh, being on the front lines of it. Do you believe that the older generations don't have a good scope on climate change? Or do you believe that they are willing to fight for what is going on. So, and I'm really sorry to hear that. And it is common in the Bangladeshi community to have a um, family member who uh, to that we lost during the war. Um, and yeah, I think that, I think our elder generation understands they just don't um, get the scope of it. Like they don't um, quite know how to um, fight or like organized around it. But they definitely understand what's what's going on. They just kind of see it as like uh, a thing that God is uh, unleashing upon them and there's nothing we can do about it. They don't see it as something that, no, we could do, um, you know, that we could do something about it. Um, and so our, the younger generation, I think we understand that we're the ones who has to do it. We're the ones who has to advocate um, for a solution. 
going back to this chronological um to the to the chronology of you becoming where you are now would you say that during your period of you know delving into politics and progressivism what would you face during that like what are the pros and cons of politics that you faced um there's there's a lot of politics in politics <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it's i ask you this because i'm actually wanting to go into political science myself and human rights so it's interesting okay. to see someone of your position talk about this yeah so you know human beings are human beings so there's always all these characters and personalities that you have to navigate through so it was a lot of um there there are there were ups and downs but for the most part the experience has been rewarding it's um i've no i've noticed that when i organize with different people and different groups and i just don't stay in one area and i just kind of do movement organizing it's a lot easier than um working somewhere for years and years and doing you know organizing work um through like a nonprofit of some sort um or an elected or something uh so or somebody um but i mean the it the ups and downs of politics is like any other profession any other um work um so but there is the, you're dealing with people so when you're dealing with people there are, there are dynamics that you have to navigate so i've had to kind of learn uh make mistakes and learn and things like that through trial and error um but the positive the the pro of it is that when you like every time you're getting involved in something you're building towards something greater and so in the last 6 years i've done a lot of work and all that work has helped me to be where i am right now and everything that i do right now will mean something later on and so knowing that you're constantly pushing the envelope whether you always win or not is really incredible and the and the fact that you're making history like one day i'm going to say that i helped elect this um amazing congresswoman in office or multiple congress uh members in office that like uh that are doing great work but also like i get to maybe one day say that i organized a voting block for uh, the first Bangladeshi voting block right there's that you can make history and i've i'm a lover of history so for me being able to actually be a part of history is like the biggest pro and mm-hmm. if you're into that then you should do it you should continue to um pursue the political science No you're persuading me. You're persuading me into running for a congresswoman. Yeah, I mean, this is the moment for young people to make history. I will tell you that. Um like when I first started, I was the youngest person on that campaign. Every all my volunteers were older. We had to do a parade and I was concerned that they would like get dehydrated by the end of it. Um there were lots of concerns. <laughs> and but now it's like so many younger people are getting involved. um and i don't feel so alone and i think that's really amazing and inspirational i think right now it's a moment for young people um there's we're taking over right so we need to learn the ropes we need to understand um how things work so i think right now is the perfect time for people to get involved um and not wor- you know not see politics as oh it's business as usual i don't want to waste my time blah blah no like this is a time to make history every anything you do in politics right now um you will you will it'll be historic you will be making history you will be pushing the envelope um martin luther king always says the arc of time bends towards justice and right now is when the arc of time is bending like people are pressuring they're bending like it doesn't just automatically bend people have to put pressure to force it to bend right and we're at that pressure point right now so anything you do right now um will will mean something later on uh, nisha lives uh, upstate i live in new york obviously so i'm i i see all of the um people that are running and I'm I have exposure to them it's it's fantastic to see I mean it is phenomenal how young some of these candidates are and I I make I say to Nisha all the time like I wish I was doing 
what you guys are doing when I was younger. I mean, it's 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 insane. One question I had is, I've I've seen people that are running that I would have thought are uncomfortable with the spotlight. So I wanted to get into that a little bit because I I think most people would assume that if you want to run, you'd have to be incredibly extroverted. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Can you be an introvert, a quote-unquote introvert, and still succeed in in, a, in running a campaign? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually, believe it or not, am an introvert that had to force myself to be an extrovert. And I would have a lot of social anxiety. And there were times where I would have to train myself to go outside because um, I just didn't like going out. I would have to, even if I wore a bathrobe and just like stood outside my apartment, uh, door, like the door to my apartment, like I would do that just to get me to go out. So um, it can be hard, it can be difficult, and I totally understand. Um, but I, it, it's really important that we still try because if you try, you can do anything. Nothing is impossible unless you get it done. So what I did was um, I pushed myself and I realized that door knocking and talking to people and canvassing uh, uh, and you know phone banking really helped me. It helped reduce my social anxiety. It uh, improved my uh, social skills. So I encourage all introverts to try. Um, I think majority of us are introverts um, but you can, there is hope for you and you can become an ambivert at the least if you try. <laughs> what sort of sacrifices have you had to make? So, uh, so many. I mean, uh, the main one is I don't have time to date or find a husband and I'm 30 years old. So it's uh, it's a big um, tension for, it, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a pressure point, pressure topic in my household. It's like so, 90 in our community. <laughs> So my <laughs> my parents aren't really thrilled with that, <laughs> but um, I get to do what I love, and that's more right now at least. That's more important to me. But um, and also I live with my parents. Um, although I would say that it has been useful, or like it's been a great thing to still live with them because they are immigrant parents and they still require a lot of help. But um, yeah, I, I guess those would be my two biggest sacrifices. Um, if you're trying to start a family, I don't know if uh, organizing, I mean, you still can do it, but like the amount of work that I do is just <laughs> not feasible. <laughs> Um, kind of rewinding back to talking about politics in specific, you are an avid member of the Democratic Party and a great supporter of Bernie Sanders. Two questions that I would like to touch upon are, first off, what specific policies um, obtaining by Bernie Sanders draw, drew you toward him? Um, so many. I mean, he was the only candidate in 2015 um, on a like only presidential candidate that was talking about issues that I cared about that I was struggling with um, around the time Bernie was running for president I had lost my health care and I actually learned that I lost my health care when I went to the doctor and I got I was at the eye doctor trying to get new glasses and after my exam I handed my health uh, insurance card and it was declined and this was day after my birthday that's how quick mm -hmm. they were to cancel my health insurance um, and I just remember that and I always like remember it because I think about all of the people that struggle with health care especially young people who are in between work right um, it's a it's a tragedy and so that really drew me to Bernie he was really speaking to people my age and our struggles um, and also his stance on student loans. Um, I have friends who have 
uh, over a hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans and their payments go up every time they make they find a job that pays them a little bit more um and it's just a, it's terrible and i had student loans although i went to a state school so it wasn't as much as others but i've always wanted to go um pursue um a master's degree and um other you know like per, continue to um go to school and I realized that it's way too expensive and I think that's such a tragedy because education should be a right um, and it's not it's a burden so and of course like the environment because I, I'm an environmentalist and I think that Bernie has uh, Bernie has a sense of urgency that others didn't really have so um, the sense of urgency that you mentioned as well, and especially Bernie Sanders' um, role in student loans, there were a, there was a lot of talk from the right wing side about him being a revolutionary, and a, apparently he was mimicking the brown shirt movement um, in the past. I'm not sure if you're aware of like how much criticism people were targeting against Bernie Sanders. Were you ever met with the arguments that people had against Bernie Sanders? I mean. I get it all the time. I actually get de death threats um, on my Twitter and social media all the time for being the founder of Millennials for Bernie Sanders. Um, so death um, threats—that's insane. That's that's oh my gosh. I'm actually on. Um, so there's a right wing website um, called KeyWiki, and they basically keep a dossier of um, leftist organizers. Um, so that whatever they can do, they can attack us and things like that. So I'm actually on it. I was just on it um, before this podcast and I was seeing just the absurd things that they were saying. That's, that's yeah, incredibly... Yeah, so I've been a target of right-wing... Um, um, this country has a history of racism. I mean, it was built on the backs of slaves um, and slavery. So, um, you know... Bernie is talking about a vision that includes all of us. And there are people in this country that don't want that. They only want it for some of us. And so, and the some of us, uh, it's a difference between the color of your skin, right? Like it's dependent on what color skin you have, where you're from, what language you speak, etc. So we, but at the same time, we have um, a huge... Uh, movement of folks that are trying to transform the country, trying to move it past its racist history. And um, we're only, you know, we're, we're getting bigger and bigger every year. Um, and it's, I'm glad that it's mostly led by young people. Um, so it gives me a lot of hope. Um, so although like, it was frustrating to see that ugly side, right, of politics. Um, I I just kind of focused on the good. I try not to focus on the terrible things. I try to like strive towards um, better better things <laughs> to, to to keep me grounded. Do you I do try you, to stay positive? Do, are you okay with the terms leftist organizer, leftist um, politician, or do you own that? Um, I'm not really, I, I mean, I own it. I own who I am. I'm not ashamed. Um, but, you know, I, I don't really, for me, at the end of the day, the labels don't matter. I think a lot of people focus too much on it. And I think that, especially for myself, I realized in my journey as an activist, like there was, you know, I, I went through many phases. Like there were phases where I was just like, I don't want to do electoral politics politics at all electoral politics is a waste of time and there are phases where I was just like when I realized like no we need to we need to really like pay attention we really need to um uh do both and and so I mean I think I'm personally not uh, comfortable with that um term but but, uh, you know, I don't think the moderate or centrist, like those labels are great. Like people who are, I think they're, I, I think that even though I'm okay with my, uh, me calling myself a leftist organizer, I'm also okay with people who don't necessarily call themselves those things as long as they share my values. So ultimately yeah. I care about the values and not the label. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think for me, I don't like to associate myself with a particular label because it, I feel like it boxes me in into certain views and I want to leave myself room to learn and change my opinion even if I need to. Um, yeah, and I think that's fine. Um, I think everybody's activist journey is different. Um, I, like, I've gone through... I've done a lot of homework, a lot of research, and I've really, like learned and tried to discover myself um, through the years. So right now I feel very comfortable. Um, so for some people actually um, calling themselves leftists or socialists um, is uh, because they're comfortable. They understand um, exactly, you know, like what their external reference point is or what they are ideologically. However, I, I'm not like uh, the folks that are so obsessed with ideologies and not like about the praxis or about like um, the uh, actual interactions with everyday people. Right. Like I don't I'm not the kind of person that just reads a book on Karl Marx and that's it. Now I know everything about the world. Like, no, um, I try to also be open minded um, towards other people who don't share my views. Um, and I think that's that's something very American. I think most Americans um, want to or most of us want to still be able to interact with each other um, and even pe with people who have to might harbor different point of views on issues yeah and you know that's that actually brings me to my next question is do you think that you can not be 100 percent aligned with a candidate's view but still support them and are you are you open to someone supporting you even if they're not 100 percent aligned with your views yeah absolutely i think that um, that's called that's a coalition, right? That's what we call a coalition. Um, and we need to have a coalition in order to get um, things done. However, I think when it comes to our values, we do have to hundred percent align. Like I cannot, I don't care if you call yourself a capitalist or a socialist or anarchist or whatever you want to call yourself. But if you believe, if you don't believe that healthcare is a human right, then or like that you don't believe that everyone should have access to healthcare. then it becomes more of a question about values mm -hmm. because i don't think saying that everybody deserves health care um is a socialist idea or a capitalist idea it's a human idea um and it's also i don't believe that anyone's saying something like um we have to, you know, not like we have to take care of people, not profit, right? Like is a is an ideological thing. It's just about having principles. It's like, yeah, we should take care of people and not businesses. I mean, people are people. Businesses aren't real, right? Like that's not a... So I think things like that, like I feel like values are... For me, my values are... Um, has nothing to do with ideology. It's just about principles and morals. Which policies and values do you think are the most important right now for the Bengali community? I think for the Bangladeshi community, um, it's the it's most and not just Bangladeshi, but I think all communities right now. Um, what's most important is access to healthcare, especially during COVID nineteen. Um, so many people are from our communities are undocumented, um, and um, you know they need to have the confidence to go walk into a um, hospital and not have to worry about being deported. And then we also have so many Bangladeshis who are not working, like they're gig workers, they're uh, cab drivers, um, or they work like part-time jobs, um, they're independent contractors, so they don't really qualify um, for certain benefits like unemployment, etc., right away, like others would. And um, they also don't have access to healthcare um, because independent contractors, you uh, like, you have to find your own healthcare. You can't, you don't automatically have healthcare. Then on top of that, so many people who did have jobs and did have healthcare now have lost their healthcare because our healthcare is tied to our employment. Um, 
and many people have lost their jobs. Uh, so we need a system that's not tied to employment, um, that's run by the government and it's run efficiently and everybody has access to healthcare. And it's not a pipe dream because the rest of the world has it. Literally every other developed nation on the planet has access to healthcare for free, but we don't. And we're the richest country on the planet. Just to clarify your exact position and what you're doing for the community today, can you just give some background? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I uh, founded this um, effort called the Queen's Mutual Aid Network, and it's completely community funded and 100% volunteer driven. Um, and we're a network of volunteers who are delivering groceries and medicine to families that are struggling right now um, or have uh, members who, in the family who have COVID um, or the elderly in our community who are immunocompromised um, access, you know, some food. So uh, that's been a big project for me in the last two months ever since this thing started um and then you know i also co-founded a group called the Bangladeshi americans for political progress and it is um an organization aiming to create or build the first Bangladeshi voting block so in america for example um you have uh, uh, all these powerful voting blocks that candidates go to and they um, try to persuade and they'll, you know, and, and the media will talk about it. Like it's a, it's a huge deal. And, you know, one of them being like the African-American voting block and the Latino voting block, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, Bangla, uh, and Bernie Sanders actually organized the first Muslim vote, like, well, he wasn't the first, but he was one of the people that really like put together or expanded the Muslim uh, voting block. The Muslim voting block actually formed during the Bush era and lots of Muslims that came and voted for George W. Bush um, during his first run for office. So um, these voting blocks are really, really important. They play a huge role um, in who gets elected. So I want that for our community here in New York City because we have 66,000 Bangladeshis just in Queens alone. Um, And we have like almost 400,000 across the city or across the state. So I think that's a huge voting block. And if we all voted together, we could make a difference. And we could also elect some people from our own communities into office. We can change laws, Um, we can pass laws. So for me, that's uh that's been a big focus and so that's what i've been doing i've been doing organizing work to build that voting block so now you're running for uh district leader in uh in district 24 in queens why that particular position yeah because i think that in order for us to um have a voting block we really need to understand how the how the party, like how party politics, um, how it works, how, um, yeah, like we have to understand how party politics uh, plays a role in the functioning of democracy. Um, We also need to understand how things work in general. So I thought that um, the district leader position was a great one to pursue because I mean, when we talk about changing the Democratic Party or we talk about any sort of transformational change, we have to do it. We talk about doing it from the bottom up, right? Bernie always says real change um, is not right or left. It's up and down or it's from the bottom up, right? So a position like district leader is at the bottom, but they... The district leader position is a very powerful position. It is an, um, it's the executive committee member of the, um, the district leader is an executive, um, is in the executive um, committee of the Democratic Party. So just like every club, right? The Democratic Party is a club, you join it. And a club has, various functions. One of them is running a democratic election, running a democracy, period. And so the district leader 
Um, so the Democratic Party has a local chapter, which is the Queens County um, Democratic Party. And so that is the local Democratic Party here in Queens. And the district leader sits on the executive committee of that party. And they get to determine the bylaws, which um, determine the approach, the whole approach of the party. Um, plus, they get to do things like choose judges. And um, if you follow any of like the racial justice, Black Lives Matter um, issues, uh, judges play a huge role in our criminal justice system. And if we can have better judges, then we can have a better criminal justice system. I, when I got kicked out of, um, kicked off of the ballot, when I got kicked off of the ballot, having a fair judge who had an open interpretation of the laws that included, that was inclusive to immigrants like me was very helpful. If I didn't, if I had a judge who was like, you know what, I don't care, I'm just gonna go buy the books. Um, then, you know, I wouldn't be running. I wouldn't be here. Um, so I think that having a good judge is important and having a judge that um, cares about the immigrant community that understands our struggles is really important. So that's why I wanted to uh, run for district leader um, because I wanted the opportunity to make the de local Democratic Party more um, inclusive and more transparent and more accessible to the immigrant um, community. Um, also, where district leaders are in charge of all of the democratic, like of the democratic club in that district, and democratic pl uh, clubs play a huge role in voter turnout. So, in New York, we've had a historically low voter turnout, um, which is terrible, especially during a time where we need more and more people to engage um, and vote. So, our district leaders haven't really been doing that work, and I've been doing it for every election. I've door knock I door knock every election to get people out to vote so if I'm already doing that job why don't I just make it official right why don't I just run for district leader so that I can officially now have access to all of these voters um, and get them on board and on top of that um, district leaders have the power to hold our elected officials accountable and currently our elected officials are both our district leaders and their elected officials, which is the conflict of interest. So I care a lot about good government. I really care about democracy. So I wanted to, um, you know, shed light on that. I wanted people to know that we have this very local position that's coveted for no reason. Like it's so coveted that we have Congress members who are running as district leaders. And that shouldn't be the case. We need to make this position um, into a position for working class people, which is what it was meant to be. And as I was doing the research to find out more about district leaders, I learned that Eleanor Roosevelt was the first reformer. And um, so I started a group called the New Reformer PAC. And we it's, um, it's based on Eleanor Roosevelt's legacy with the district leaders. Um, in the, at first, the district leaders were all male there were no female district leaders. And she actually primaried every single district leader um, and got some, uh, some of them elected who then changed the bylaws within the party to now include women. And then years later, a new slate of reformer candidates in the 70s, they went in and they primaried the district leaders who were in the past only appointed and not elected, and they made this position into an elected position. Um, so now we and myself, when 20 others are the next slate of reformers. So uh, I am following the tradition and history of our um our, uh, our Democratic Party here in New York by running. And I wanted to, I wanted my community, our communities, the Bangladeshi community to be a part of that. Um, and so that's why I decided to run for district leader and not anything else. <laughs> well, um, you talked about it earlier about your recent issue with your name on the ballot. So for people that don't know, Mary Jabaida talked about it a little bit, but for people that don't know what happened, are you able to go into that? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, um, myself and Mary Jovida were kicked off of the ballot by the uh, New York City Board of Election for having for using our Daknam instead of our Palonam. 
um, for office. And I had put in a petition to appeal um, that I had put in a petition to use Momita, which is my DACNAM, um, to run. And it was approved by the State Board of Election because I'm also running as a Bernie Sanders delegate. Um, and even though the State Board of Election approved it, the New York City Board of Election decided not to. Um, so we went to court and um, essentially the court determined that we had every right to run as what uh, you know the names that we um, our DACNAMs because uh, we weren't misleading voters. So the laws say as long as you haven't misled voters um, and you could prove that you have not, that this that's the name that everybody knows you by, then you should be allowed to run um, in that name. So for example, Bill Clinton, you know, his name is William Clinton, but he ran as Bill Clinton. Bernie is Bernard Sanders, but he ran as Bernie. Mm. And so it was like a big deal because the the Board of Elections lawyers, they were like, well, Atia, which is my um, real, like my Palonam, my Muslim name, is not a, uh, Momida is not a diminutive of Atia, or Meherun um, is not a diminutive of Mary. Um, and so my, our lawyer argued that the court has no right to determine what is a uh, or the board of election has no right to determine what's a diminutive or not because and they cited this case called the Anatoly uh, Anatoly versus the board of election uh, sorry Anatoly versus Strasser and basically um, that court case um, this guy named Anatoly Eisenberg he wanted to run as Tony Eisenberg where he changed his last name the spelling of his last name to completely like it was completely different from it was spelled E I E-Y-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G and he changed that to E-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G and then he wanted to change Anatoly to Tony and that was allowed. He won that case. So my lawyer argued that this guy changed his last name and Anatoly uh, and Tony is not a diminutive of Anatoly. Anatoly is a Russian name. So we have every right to run as Momita and Mary. Yeah, and I think the other issue was that they they, they let us they let you know very late in the process, right? I think that's yeah. what uh, MJ was that's saying. The, yes, that's the other thing. Like, they were like, oh, you didn't return a letter, but the letter was never uh, mailed to me as certified mail. So, and right now, our postal uh, post offices are bankrupt, right? So, we can't expect the mail to be delivered on time. Um, so, I cannot be blamed for that. I cannot be blamed that I did not receive a letter. There are people who know how the Democratic Party uh, bylaws and all these rules, they know all of it, and they're good at, um, you know, good at interpreting um, bylaws and things. And that's great. I'm an immigrant. I don't know those things. And I want to learn. And you should allow me to learn because this is America. And this is about being inclusive, right? This is a country of immigrants. You have to make these things accessible. This is about democracy. If you care about people voting, if you care about people being involved, if you want this government to be by the people, for the people, then you have to allow other, uh, more people to engage. And so we have what, right now, what we have is gatekeepers in the Democratic Party that want to hold on to their power and they do it by using you know like that that this is how they do it they use it by exploiting loopholes and things like that to kick people off of the ballot when i got kicked off of the ballot so many people called me i got a call from congresswoman grace meng who is korean and she was like you know i have i had to also consider this because koreans don't you know they have their palonam and then they have their daknam which is the american name so even she called me and then I had um, multiple Bangladeshi uncles who ran for office before like Moshadalam and others who um, were like, you know, we, this is, you, you'll win, it'll be okay. Because they, they had to deal with um, um, discrimination, not like, not exactly what I went through, but they also dealt with some discrimination when they ran for office. Um, and then also like I had people from the Sikh community, I had a... Um, 
an organizer named Harpreet Thor Singh, he called me um, and he said he had a similar issue. Um, so this, this, it was nice to be able to um, do some, you know, it was nice to see that uh, your, like your ex- experience running for office now established a rule or, you know, a precedence <laughs> that helps the community and makes the uh, ballot, makes ballot access more accessible to immigrants. So that was pretty cool. That was, uh, I was glad. So even if I lose, even if I don't become district leaders, I will be happy knowing that I influenced, I changed, you know, something. Um, I changed the rules. What do you think your chances are? I think my chances are really great. I think it depends on um, how many people come out and vote or how many people send a mail, mail-in ballot. Um, but... I think I have a good shot. Um, my opponent is 82 years old, so she really shouldn't be running. Um, wow. How long has she been in office? How long has she been in office? Um, for years. I mean, she got, she was never, she wasn't really elected. Like she, she was elected, but it was, it was more like um, she ran on a petition slate with uh, the assembly member in my district and then people just voted for her. Um, she never actually campaigned. This is the first time I'm forcing her to campaign. Uh, Does she even live in the district that she's running in? She does live in this district, but at the same time, she doesn't represent the district. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, we've spoken to about four or five candidates so far, and I think every single one uh, that the incumbent that they're running against has been in the office for like minimum 10 years. Yeah, I just she's, find been, it, she's been a district leader for a long time. I, I don't know exactly, but it's been a long time. Like, I didn't even know she was my district leader. So it's, it's the most frustrating thing when I hear about that, because that's not what the forefathers meant for these these sort of positions. They're supposed to be representat- representative of the community. And it's, I mean, really, it's supposed to be just like one or two terms, and then you go off and do your own thing. I mean, it's it's really frustrating. How do you have fresh fresh and new ideas if it's the same old people. It's it's, right. it's very frustrating. I, and if I win, I would introduce term limits for these positions. I think it's, it's extremely necessary um, because people just use these positions um, either for their resume or they use it to rubber stamp whatever the hell our elected officials want to do, whether it's backdoor deals with real estate developers, etc. Or like, you know, to... Um, elect or nominate uh, presidential candidates before the public even had a chance to vote. So, um, mm. you know, a couple of months ago in uh, in Queens, um, the Democratic Party decided to um, nominate Biden to endorse Joe Biden. Um, and this was back in, um, like, w- this was in December when we still didn't have, like we hadn't still had our election, held our election, right? There were still lots of, we didn't even have the Iowa primaries. Well, And that's very undemocratic. Like why would you as a group think that you can just go and endorse somebody without talking to your neighbors, talking to your constituents? The district leaders, I've never had my district leader come to me once and be like, hey, you're so involved in the community. Let's work together to turn out voters. Um, I think it's a missed opportunity. I, if I was district leader, I would let, go to every single person that's active in the community and I would keep in touch with them. I would work with them. And there's just so much we can do with it. And, and unfortunately, it's not being done. And our community here um, really needs it because we're majority of the population in this district. Um, this district is 36% South Asian. It's over like 60% black and brown. Um, but we only have one black district leader and the rest are all, you know, not not really reflective of the diversity of this uh, district. So we really need this right now. Um, And it's important for us in order to um, open doors 
for candidates to run for higher office. It's so great that you're doing that, Mumita, and it was so awesome getting in depth with all of these topics and these conversations that we had. Um, just to mention before we start concluding, what are some key dates you would like to mention for your listeners? Yeah, um, so the key dates that everyone should know about, save the date right now, uh, June 16th, that is the uh, deadline to request an absentee ballot. Um, if you can't make it to the polls in person, then you have to request one before June 16th so the city can mail you an absentee ballot. And then June 23rd is the election. But due to COVID-19, I think majority of people are going to stay home. So the absentee ballot deadline is super important and you can request an absentee ballot at nycabsentee.com. It's really easy. All you need is your name and your zip code and birth date. That's it. So you can actually um, sign up your family members too. So if you have, um, you can tell all of your family members, that's what I've been doing. I've been sending it to my aunts and uncles and I'm like, spread this everywhere. Awesome. And, <laughs> and they've been They've been working like they'll call me and they'll be like, I sent it to 10 people today. I was like, good job. You can't so, underestimate the power of the Auntie News Network. No, um, Auntie <laughs> News Network. Could, actually, the Auntie News Network could be my saving grace. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a there's a Bobby News Network. Um, oh, I yeah. have not tapped into that because I don't have uh, I don't have a Bobby. But if you have a Bobby, <laughs> please. <laughs> I, I definitely do. Um, but uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, great talking to you. Um, I feel like we can learn a lot from you. We could just we could. There's so many topics we could touch on. Love for you to come back, um, and and when you in uh, and talk about some of those topics again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I can get a little in depth, <laughs> um, but I really appreciate this uh, opportunity and this platform. I think what you all are doing is so important. I'm so proud of you um, and proud of the work that you're doing. And I'm really hopeful for our for the future of Bangladeshi Americans here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Mamita. The red and green I bleed is always in my heart uh, I do it for my people, always in my thoughts I gotta be honest, with diamonds and pearls Yeah, yeah, Bengalis in New York All over the world, uh, it's the bony show uh, hey, Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we spit to the gangs we with It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we 